So we're going to be continuing our series in Ruth, and um, we're like over halfway there, right? There's four chapters. We're going to be finishing up next week. So um, this passage is a little weird. Um, so I guess uh, to save time, we'll just get into it, and we'll try to see uh, and like interpret what's going on here. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn them to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, and I'll be reading for us here. This is God's word. And it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Watch, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he, ha- uh, but when he lies down... Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Verse 5, and this is Ruth. She replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law, Naomi, had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, this is referring to Boaz, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Verse 10, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one, could not, uh, before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did, it, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And verse, and verse 18, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All right, there's a lot of stuff going on, and um, this is a weird passage. This is one of those like passages in your Bible that you read it and you're like, uh, what the heck is going on here? So let me try to break this down for us, okay? Um, Naomi has this plan. And she wants to do something that would help out Ruth in the long term. Now remember, both Naomi and Ruth, they're widows, okay? Um, and pretty much in this time and culture, it's extremely hard for widows to survive. So Naomi, she comes up with this plan, and she pretty much goes to Ruth and says this, Ruth, I genuinely want what's best for you. I don't want you to suffer like me as a foreign widow. You're still young, 
and you have hope. So here's what's going to happen. It's time for a makeover. All right? Uh, go pretty yourself up and get yourself a husband. This is her plan. And the reason why she's mentioning this was, again, it was hard for widows to survive independently apart from a husband or a spouse. So um, Naomi is just really doing this selflessly for Ruth's best interests. So Naomi is like, okay, here's how we're going to do this, Ruth. Get out of your lame widow outfit. Take a shower. Put some fragrance on, right? Put on some makeup. Thread those eyebrows. Get your nails done. Put this nice dress on and go to Boaz on the threshing floor. Now, Boaz, he's going to be there winnowing grain. And, you know, winnowing, we don't know this term. But this is just a term that means to separate uh, grain from the plant stalks. So, you know, uh, none of us are farmers here. But back in those days, (laughs) I'm speaking like I'm old, but I'm not. Back in those days, when you would go farm for food, you would gather the grain. You would pluck pluck the um, stalks from the ground, from the field, and... On the stalks, you would have the actual grain that you would use for food. And in this, I guess in this case, it's barley, right? So to winnow means that you're separating the grain from the stalk. And usually after, you know, you do that process, winnowing is when you actually throw the, the, the whole lump together and the breeze will eventually separate all the particle, residue, whatever, um, so that the grain is by itself um, pure, I guess. So um, that's what Boaz is doing, and Ruth, or Naomi says this. After he's doing that, after he's finished, observe him from a distance. Wait till after he eats, right? He's going to eat dinner. He's going to drink. Maybe he'll get a little buzzed. Right when he's about to pass out, this is what you're going to do, Ruth. You're going to go to him. You're going to uncover his feet, and you're going to lie down at his feet, and he's going to tell you what to do. And whatever the heck he tells you to do, you better do it. Now, I don't know if you're catching this. This is weird, okay? Um, if you're tracking with me, Naomi's plan is act- it's absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. Because Naomi wants Ruth to seduce Boaz so they can sleep together. And Boaz would be obligated to marry her. I mean, think about it. Why else would you go up to a person of the opposite gender one-on-one, Late at night, especially after alcohol, and you remove some clothing, right? Uncovering your feet. And you know what they say, right? Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. So something's fishy. Something's going on here. So scholars, you know, I've been doing some studying on this book. They're quite divided over this. And this is hard for us to pick up because, you know, these are idioms and phrases written like centuries ago, right? So uncovering one's feet That phrase is a euphemism that means to uncover yourself, not just your feet, okay? Um, Like, reveal yourself, right? So there's this large range of meaning, of course. It can mean everything from the waist down. It could just mean your feet. It can mean, you know, your, your privates. But let's say, just for argument, let's be decent and G rated here, okay? Let's just interpret this as feet, uncovering your feet. But the thing is this, you run into another problem. There's this verb, uh, lie down, okay? Uh, this verb, lie down, doesn't always mean to just lie down as if you're taking a nap. When this verb is used with another subject, so for instance, lie down with this man or lie down with this woman, it doesn't mean that you're just sleeping next to her. 
So whenever you see this in the Bible, lie down with another subject, it's an idiom that means that you're sleeping with each other. But, you know, of course, this verb um, has a large range of meaning. It could just mean to sleep. Um, so for argument, let's just keep it G-rated, and let's just go with the regular lie down as a translation. So that means this. Naomi is saying to Ruth, lie down next to Boaz, which is already a weird request considering the context. But even with that, you run into another issue. After you take his shoes off, right, uncovering his feet, and you lie down next to him, Ruth says this to, or Naomi says, or yeah, Naomi says this to Ruth, um, he's going to tell you what to do. I mean, Come on, like what, what else do you think Boaz is going to tell Ruth to do, right? You think Boaz is going to talk theology with her? No. I mean, it's late at night. He drank some alcohol. He wakes up to Ruth taking off his shoes. I mean, you think Boaz is going to ask Ruth to read him a bedtime story? No. I mean, you guys understand the context, right? Uh, it, it seems so obvious. And uh, I'm kind of getting like weirded out right now. Um, the threshing floor, it sounds kind of scandalous now, right? So one thing that we have to know from this context also is that many men, they worked on these grain fields like Boaz, and after winnowing, after doing their harvesting, they would pass out on the threshing floor to guard the pile um, before they moved it to storage the next morning. And it was very common for prostitutes to come out during that time to offer their services. So this shows us this. Naomi was not innocent. She knew what she was doing. She knew what she was getting Ruth into. And I honestly think Naomi had good intentions, okay? Uh, She was doing this selflessly for Ruth, but she was desperate. She was so desperate that she came up with this risky and scandalous plan. So to kind of rephrase and to, you know, like give a summary of what's going on, Naomi's pretty much like this to Ruth. Uh, Ruth, dress like you're going clubbing, make it look like you're available, and after, you know, Boaz has a little sippy-sippy, sleep with him. Then Boaz will be obligated to marry you. This is the best way for you to get remarried and to get yourself back on your feet to not be a poor widow anymore. It's risky, but this is probably your best shot. Now, how does Ruth respond to this crazy, like, plan? Ruth says this, everything you say, I will do. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. I mean, ladies, imagine if you were in Ruth's shoes. Okay, your husband passed away. Uh, Your mother-in-law is encouraging you to sleep with this different man to make him obligated to marry you. A normal person's response would be what? Hell no, I ain't going to do that. That's crazy. You're ludicrous for actually thinking that. But for Ruth, we see something kind of weird. She's so extremely loyal to Naomi. She's absolutely loyal to Naomi. And when people read the book of Ruth, they say, ladies, pray for a Boaz to come into your life. I mean, Boaz is nice and all, but dude, fellas, let's pray for Ruth to come into our lives. Ruth is so loyal, all right? And apart from the, like, God himself, you, you read the Bible from, like, beginning to end. From my, from my perspective, my opinion, I've never seen someone so loyal in the Bible apart from God. And the author is really showing us that Ruth is the epitome of this word hesed, which means, you know, steadfast love or loving kindness, covenant loyalty, whatever, all of that. 
And I'm sure Ruth, she wasn't stupid. I mean, it's not like Ruth was naive to Naomi's plan. She knew her intentions. But it's so interesting because she was willing to go with it because she's so loyal and she trusted Naomi. So guess what Ruth does? She cleans herself up, puts on some nice clothes, and she waits for Boaz. Boaz, he's finished winnowing. Um, He ate, had a nightcap, his heart was merry, and he goes to sleep. And the Bible tells us at midnight, Boaz wakes up startled because he sees a girl uncovering his feet. Boaz asks, who are you? He's shocked. He's startled. He doesn't recognize her and probably thinks she's a prostitute. And she answers this, I am Ruth, your servant. And before Boaz even says a word, Ruth says, spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Do you know what Ruth is asking Boaz? Ruth is telling Boaz to marry her. Spread your wings. Marry me. Be my redeemer. Cover me. Do you know what Ruth is saying when she's not even proposing? She's not asking for marriage. She's telling Boaz to marry her. She's saying this. Boaz, be the answer to your own prayer. Last week in chapter 2, we saw Boaz commending and praying for and blessing Ruth. Because Ruth's boldness and her loyalty, Boaz says, may Yahweh take you under his wings of refuge, right? That's the mentioning of the wings right there. And then again, Ruth is saying, bro, I'm cashing out on that prayer. Take me under your wings. Marry me. Provide shelter. Provide protection. You pray for God to cover me, you cover me. You pray for God to protect me, you protect me. You pray for God to bless me, you bless me. Be the answer to your own prayer. Why? Because you are my redeemer. There's a law in the Bible that allowed a relative to regain property that was lost by other family members who either died or went through hard times. This person is known as the kinsman redeemer. So this person was also allowed to buy relatives out of slavery, um, you know, out of poverty. And this person was also allowed to avenge relatives who are murdered. So let's say I had a kinsman redeemer, right? My brother is my kinsman redeemer, and I was murdered. My brother, according to this law, would be legally permitted to avenge my death by killing the person who killed me without any consequences. In addition to that, the redeemer also had to pay the debt owed by deceased relatives, and to pretty much correct any wrong, relatives might not be able to correct themselves. So by Ruth, so picture this. Ruth is saying, you are my redeemer. She's asking for a lot. She's pretty much saying, Boaz, marry me and be my redeemer. Redeem all the property and all the assets I've lost through my husband's death. Take me out of poverty. Take me out of slavery. And if someone murders me, I want you to avenge my death. If I owe money to others, pay that debt for me. And any wrong I have incurred to others, correct those wrongs for me. That's what's going on here. Booth, I mean, Ruth, I said Booth. Ruth is crazy. So how does Boaz respond to all this? Boaz could have went one of two ways. Number one, he actually could have taken advantage of her in that moment. There'd be no consequences. Why? Because Ruth was a widow. She was vulnerable. And to be honest with you, no one would have cared if she was, you know, taken advantage of. Or number two, Boaz could have just rejected her. But he doesn't do that. Boaz actually goes 
above and beyond, and he blesses Ruth again. And you know what he says? He says this, may you be blessed by Yahweh. Boaz talks about her hesed, right? Our, our version translates this word as kindness, but I think loyalty is more precise in this situation. So Boaz is saying, Ruth, this act of loyalty, you willing to follow with Naomi's shady plan, with all of its risks and dangers, is greater than your past act of loyalty in leaving your homeland to be with Naomi, which was already big in itself. And what we see here in this passage is that there's a role reversal. Rather than Ruth doing what Boaz asked for, which is what Naomi wanted, Boaz, being the ultimate man of God, says, all that you ask for, I will do, Ruth. Why? Because he knows that she is a worthy woman. And that word worthy is the same word the author used last week in chapter 2 to describe Boaz's character. Morally upright, wealthy, good character. Boaz continues on and says, it's true, Ruth, I'm eligible to be your kinsman redeemer, and I want to, believe me. But by law, there's someone else who's a closer relative to carry that role out. And he's pretty much saying, look, Ruth, like, I, I want to redeem you. I want to play that role for you. But I just want to do things right. I want to do things by the book. And if this relative who is legally uh, closer to redeem you doesn't redeem you, I for sure, you bet on it, I will redeem you. So Ruth goes back home the next morning. And Naomi, uh, she's probably anxious and worried about what happened because her plan is incredibly risky. It's dangerous. And all of a sudden, she sees Ruth come back with as much barley and food she can carry, picked out by Boaz, and Ruth told her everything that happened. And Naomi's plan worked, even though there were some adjustments, right? They didn't sleep together. So Naomi says, let's wait. Let's wait and let's see what happens. I got a good feeling about this. So what's the point of this chapter, right? It's kind of weird. Um, I think the point is that an understanding of God's sovereignty should inspire kindness and boldness. In Ruth 1, we, see, we saw that God is a great provider, even in suffering and hopelessness. In Ruth 2, we saw that God is a generous giver, giving us more than we need, more than what we ask for. And in Ruth 3, we see that God desires his people to trust in his sovereignty so that they can be compassionately bold to others. So what do we learn about Ruth here? Ruth is bold. Ruth took risks. Ruth was loyal. And we see that when Ruth told Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will become my God, and I will be buried where you are buried. Right? She's not exaggerating. She wasn't just all talk. The events uh, in this chapter and last week's chapter all show that she is true to her word. Ruth is immensely bold. How so? Well, number one, she went along with Naomi's scheme, but she improvised. And if I were Ruth, right, I would have been like, Naomi, you're out of your freaking mind. You know, this plan for you to, like, sleep with this guy so that I can be married, right, that's something that's way too crazy. That's something that Michael Scott would think of. This plan was risky. Uh, so many things could have gone wrong. It was a gamble. And personally, I don't think Boaz would have taken advantage of her because, you know, he's a worthy man. He had great character. But Boaz definitely could have recoiled at a request. I think Boaz should have responded this way. 
um, Ruth, I'm sorry, this is way too much. You're making me feel uncomfortable. I can't do this. I'm sorry, you need to leave right now. That should have been the right response. But even knowing that risk, Ruth still went with it. She was bold. Ruth was bold enough to not only just stick with Naomi's plan, but, you know, Naomi said to go to Boaz, uncover his feet, and do whatever he tells you to do. Rather than doing that, listening to Naomi, rather than waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, Ruth took initiative. She told him what to do, and she said, Boaz, be the answer to your own prayers. That is bold. And Ruth is pretty much saying, look, I'm not going to go about on this roundabout way for you to marry me by seducing you. I'm just going to tell you straight up, marry me and redeem me. I mean, do you know how bold that is? Let me give you an example, okay? Imagine I'm out on a date with a girl. Oh, I got your attention now, right? Um, So on her end, it seems like things aren't working out between us, right? So she says this, um, hey, uh, thank you for spending time with me. I really appreciate you. Um, You're a really nice guy, and I pray that you end up with an amazing girl. For me to be bold would be to respond in this manner. Honey, pray no further. Be the answer to your prayers. Be that amazing girl that you're praying for in my life. That is bold, right? Um, I get it. Like, guys, I'm extremely outrageous. I'm obnoxious. And some of you actually believe that I would say something like that. I would never. Um, But I know you guys are cringing at the thought of me doing that. And that is the point. Because for Ruth to say, spread your wings over me, it's cringy. Marry me. Redeem me. It's jaw-dropping. It's a face palm moment. But not only did she go with Naomi's risky plan, not only did she take initiative and commanded Boaz to be an answered prayer, number two, she asked Boaz for the world. She asked Boaz to redeem her. She went to Boaz and she said, protect me, cover me, provide for me, avenge me, clear my wrongdoings, settle my debt. Ruth is extremely bold. Now, why is the author highlighting her boldness here? I mean, why is Ruth's boldness so important? Well, if Ruth wasn't bold, Boaz wouldn't have married and redeemed Ruth, as we'll see next week. If Ruth wasn't bold, she wouldn't have met Boaz at his fields. If Ruth wasn't bold, both her and Naomi would have nothing to eat and they would starve to death. If Ruth wasn't bold, Naomi would be alone and helpless. Ruth's bold actions show us that, number one, God may express his own love through human acts of love. In this book, we see that God is using Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz to show his love and to show his kindness to others. And a huge part in how we as a church show God's love to the world is by actively loving others. God wants us to be his hand and his feet. God wants us to show the world the greatness of his love, and he's commissioning his bride, the church, the responsibility to display that through their actions of love. Another thing that Ruth's bold actions show us is that God may lead those who pray for others to act personally on behalf of others. This was the case for Boaz, right? Boaz prayed for Ruth. 
may God grant you shelter under his wings of refuge. And all of a sudden, Ruth was like, yeah, spread your wings over me. And it's very possible that the things God is convicting us to pray for are the things God wants us to act upon. Have you thought about that? I have one application for us today. Be bold in your presentation of the gospel. Be bold in your presentation of the gospel. Why? Because God might be calling us to be an answered prayer to someone else. One thing I know a lot of us are praying for is God to save our loved ones, right? Because I know we have a lot of close friends or families who aren't believers. On Mondays, for me, I pray for the salvation of my family members. And I think that this passage is showing me maybe, maybe God wants me to be an answer to my prayers. Maybe God wants me to at least hang out with family more and have more uncomfortable conversations about faith. Not saying that I'll be like this great evangelist, but at least, maybe, hopefully, if God is gracious, God would use me to plant seeds that he can use for the future. In our time in Indonesia, oh, not Indonesia, um, Malaysia, uh, we, I told you this, but we were able to give like a chunk of money to this one particular missionary. Um, she's an absolute stud. Uh, she's statistically the best worker in that region. And many organizations actually work through her as well. Um, I'm going to give her a name, Jane, okay? Um, so Jane, she's actually from Indonesia. So she's not Malaysian. But um, she comes from this people group called uh, the Patak, okay? Um, so if you don't know about if you don't know this about Indonesia, Indonesia is predominantly Muslim, right? And her people group were actually one of the first Christians in Indonesia. So this is a crazy story in itself, but uh, I think like about a century ago, German missionaries would come to her people group, but her people group were cannibals, so they ate the missionaries, literally, okay? So there's this another missionary that came to her people group. Um, Her people group tried to like poison their food um, so that they can kill the missionary and eat him later on. But this one particular missionary didn't die from the poisoning. So what did the people think? This is God, right? So they worshiped the missionary thinking, this is God. And that was the perfect way for, you know, this group to evangelize to them. So their entire people group was saved because of that. And Jane is a byproduct of that. So Jane grew up a Christian in a complete Muslim world. She was harassed as a minority. Everyone made fun of her. Everyone threatened her. She literally saw her church burn to the ground, and she hated Muslim people. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were in his shoes, in her shoes, and you've witnessed all this persecution, and all you have is just, like, natural hate? But one time, God came to Jane and said, Jane, I care about these people. And he reminded her of the book of Jonah when Jonah was sent to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were wicked. They hated God's people. But God said to Jonah, I love these people. I love these people. I have compassion for these people. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And as I love them, as I have compassion to them, you as my people, you as my representative, I want you to love and to have compassion for them. And that was the turning moment in Jane's life. That moment, she said yes to God. And she decided to have um, a burden 
for Muslim people, and she became a missionary. Um, she did missionary work five years in Indonesia, and she moved to Malaysia, and she's about finishing eight years of her work. Um, and during her eight years, she single-handedly brought over 20 people to Christ, 20 Malay people. And that might sound like a very small and significant number, but in a context in Malaysia where it's closed and illegal and dangerous to convert ethnic Malay, um, she's killing it. And every other missionary in that area has not reached the same success that she has. So we had such an amazing opportunity, right, me, Kenny, Jess, uh, to spend time with her, um, and it was so cool. We had the chance to to eat with her, to do kind of like a ride-along with her. We spent the entire day with her as she was doing house visitations. Um, we we met other Muslims from Iraq, from, from Jordan. Uh, we met Muslim Malaysians, right? Uh, the funny thing about that was I taught a Korean class. <laughs> like, yeah, I taught a Korean class to Malays, okay? Um, it was absolutely fun. Me, Jessica, Kenny, and I, like, we were just, like, Googling, like, oh, what is this word? And we are just teaching them from Google, right? We had the chance to do all of that, and it was great. But the best thing, I think, like, apart from all the stories we've heard, the best thing about meeting Jane was this. We, so if you don't know, part of the reason why we want to go is to bless the missionaries we encountered. And we wanted to take them out to nice meals and provide for them. And after one meal, after our last meal with her, um, she said this, and it was the most encouraging thing. She said, your team is an answered prayer. Your team is an answered prayer of member care. I felt so discouraged. Um, I felt afraid. Um, Things are really hard here as a missionary, and I just asked for some encouragement, and God answered that prayer with you guys. And for us, like me, Kenny, and Jessica, we felt so blessed. We felt like, man, this is what God is doing, and we're just so privileged to be a part of this. And her saying that we're an answer prayer reminded me of the time where um, the person setting up this entire trip, she's in Ohio, her name's Teresa, part of Frontiers. She said, our church, we're actually an answer prayer because for, I think, two or three years, Frontiers was praying for a team, a short-term team, to go to Southeast Asia. Now, I'm not here to brag about how great of a team or how great of a church we are, but the reason why I'm sharing this story is to show you how God can move mountains, to show you how God can save people, groups, and nations through a number of imperfect, sinful, yet faithful people who say yes to him. We would not have had the opportunity to bless the missionaries we've encountered. We wouldn't have the opportunity to hear their powerful, life-changing testimonies. We wouldn't have the opportunity to be even answered prayers if we didn't say yes to God. We, as a church, wouldn't have the opportunity to financially and to prayerfully support this trip, um, to bless this trip, and to even go on this trip if we did not say yes to God. We wouldn't have the opportunity to partner with Frontiers to visit their U.S. sending base if we did not say yes to God. We wouldn't have the opportunity to plant this church seven years ago and be missional if we did not say yes to God. And church, God is calling us to say yes to him. That's what obedience is. 
And more times than not, that yes requires a lot of boldness. It requires a lot of faith, and it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. It requires us to get over our doubts. It requires us to get over our fears. It requires us to take risks and be uncomfortable and to put ourselves in vulnerable places. And that is extremely hard. And that's why we pray. That's why we pray for boldness. That's why we pray for the supernatural of the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. And church, right now, what I want to do is let's close in prayer. And um, as I invite the praise team up, I want us to just pray for this one thing. Let's pray for boldness. Pray that in our lack of faith, in, you know, our intentions and our motivations that are so mixed, let's pray that God would give us this church to be bold about the gospel. Let's pray that God would allow us to be bold in proclaiming his love. And maybe particularly for us, um, maybe God is giving us specific opportunities to be bold with some of the relationships that we have, whether if it's close friends or family members. Whatever the case is, as a church collectively, let's pray that God would give us boldness. Let's pray together.